We're going to study tonight a tshuva, a pair of tshuvas on Hilchas Mikvos, the laws, the laws of mikvah. Um, we're learning in the Kolel the laws of mikvah this man, and I have been wanting to study a tshuva on mikvos for a while. The problem is the halachas in mikvos are incredibly complicated and incredibly arcane, and virtually every tshuva that I've opened on Hilchas Mikvos is incredibly complicated and incredibly arcane. The, the tshuvas invariably raise a half dozen or a dozen different and sometimes interlocked issues, and, uh, and it, they, they go all over the place, and they're very hard to follow and very hard to understand, let alone teach. But uh, tonight, I guess I was feeling confident enough that we're going to try to study a pair of shuvas on mikvos. They are very complicated, they are very arcane, but nevertheless, it's an interesting question, and also some interesting uh, meta-halachic questions about what approach we take to mikvos. Do we aim for stringency? Do we aim for leniency? And that itself is something that's very important that we'll discuss as well. Shuvas are by Malkiel Tenenbaum, the author of the Divrim Malkiel, one of the great postkim of Europe about a century ago. And the tshuva deals with technology. Mikvos had been made using roughly the same technology for thousands of years, from the time of the Tanakh, down through the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Rishonim, and Akronim. There hadn't been a whole lot of changes that were made in the construction of mikvos. There were some techniques that were refined and improved, but on the whole, mikvos were made using largely the same principles, the same tools, the same mechanisms that we did for thousands of years. Around a century ago, a century or two ago, we find a number of changes that began to be introduced into the construction of mikvos. Some of these changes were due to societal changes, the nature of urban, uh, urban development. People didn't live on little villages. Some of them did, but they didn't always live in little villages right next to streams and so on and wells. Some of them had to do with technology. The chuvas we're going to do tonight involve both new options that were, that were unlocked by technology as well as increased difficulty in, in constructing traditional mikvos due to the changes in society, changes in, in, in how cities were laid out. And again, this chuva was written about a century ago, probably in the, pretty much the beginning of the 20th century, as we'll see from the, from the subject matter. Now, as I said, the halachas and mikvos are quite complicated, but just to give a basic, basic introductory sketch of what we have to know to understand the basic rules of mikvah and to understand the chuvas we're going to do tonight, a mikvah is a body of water. There are two kinds, a mikvah and a mayan. A mikvah is a stationary body of water. A mayan is a naturally flowing spring, river, in some cases, is called a mayan. There are differences in halacha between them. The differences largely do not concern us tonight. Tonight we'll just assume that they're both kosher. A, uh, you, you dig a hole in the ground, it rains, it fills up, that's a mikvah. You have a, a, you have a stream that flows out of the ground, a spring, that's a mayan. They are both kosher, they're both valid options to be tovel. Mikvah is used for many things, bismanazeh, it's used for women mostly, for tefillah nida. The time, of the, the time of the Torah and the time of Tanakh and Mishnah was used for Tuman Tara as well, for many things. Today it's used largely for, for women, but the laws of mikvah are largely, not entirely the same, but largely the same in these various usages of mikvah. Now, a standard mikvah needs to be 40 sa. There are questions about a Mayan, but uh, an ordinary mikvah needs to be 40 sa. 
mikvos today, all, all, all the, 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 the standard custom for centuries has been every mikvah has to have 40 sa, capaci- a minimum, minimum capacity of 40 sa. 40 sa, there are different opinions, many different opinions uh, as to how much, how much that is. Not a huge amount. The Gemara, the Gemara gives an alternate definition of the volume of the capacity. It is one ama by one ama by three amas. Three cubic amas, in other words. Imagine typically a vertical rectangular salad of one ama in width, one ama in length, three amas tall. An ama is between, somewhere between one and a half and two feet. So it's something between roughly four and a half and six feet tall by one and a half and two feet wide, one and a half and two feet long. A lot of water if you're filling it up by buckets on the shoulder from the river maybe, but not a huge amount of water in the, in the broader scheme of things. Yes? Yeah, Simcha points out that actually using buckets is going to be problematic, and that's actually what the bulk of the chuvas tonight are going to have to do with. Using actual buckets is, is, is problematic for reasons we'll discuss soon. Yes? Other question? Okay. So you need a minimum capacity of water of 40 sa. Once you have, mikvos are typically larger because we, for two reasons. They're larger because there are so many different opinions as to how much that is, and we, and we want to give a good margin of safety, a margin of error. If you're missing that by a hair, it's possible, so obviously we want to have more than that amount of water. And B, for practical reasons, you can't, it's hard to fit in such a small mikvah. The Gemara says that's the minimum size a person can fit, but in practice, you want to be able to have room to actually go in. You obviously want something larger. Our mikvos, in practice, are significantly larger. So that's the basic rule of a mikvah. It has to be 40 sa, minimum. It has to be, uh, and, and that, 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 that's the basic requirement of a mikvah. Yes? Uh, why, why, why can't you just have it like three amas wide? One, I mean, three amas in length, one amas in width, and one amas in So Simcha is raising the very important question. I gave the dimensions of three amas in height, one amas in width, one amas in length. Can you rotate those dimensions? Can you have a shorter but wider mikvah? So the technical halacha is you, that you need three cubic amas, 40, 40 sa, in any configuration that they fit. In practice, if the mikvah is too shallow, too wide and too shallow, a human being will have a great deal of trouble fitting in it. Again, amrikvos are invariably larger anyway, but in practice, you have to be able to fit. It's true, there is no real requirement as, as to exactly how those amas are laid out. It's simply a volume measurement, a minimum, a, a minimum measurement of volume. Now, there are a number of halachas about how the mikvah has to be constructed. The most important, the most, uh, among the most important, the most... Uh, heavily discussed, the most problematic, are a group of halachas that overlap and are difficult to untangle, but they are known as the problems of shuvin, of water that is drawn, that is carried in vessels, and related problem of havaya al adam, a mikvah that is constructed artificially by, by humans, maybe even animals, but certainly humans, a mikvah that is al yidei that things which are macabre tumma, things which can are susceptible to tumma, like a bucket. These three problems, there are actually more variations of these, but these three problems, Mayim Shuvim, water that's carried in Kalim, uh, drawn in Kalim, carried in Kalim, vessels, Havayai de Adam, mikvah that was made directly by a human being, Havayai de Dover Tumma, something that was made by a Dover Tumma. These are three overlapping problems. In the case I gave before, if a person wants to make a mikvah, so he digs a hole, then he goes to a nearby river, carries a bucket, fills up the bucket with water, dumps it repeatedly into the hole of the ground until he gets 40 sa. All three of those problems would apply. 
the water would be mayim shuvin because they were carried, drawn and carried in a bucket. It would be havayali de adam, the person poured the water into the mikvah, so the mikvah was made by an adam and not naturally. It would be havayali de davra makabal tumah, the bucket is makabal tumah, the person's makabal tumah. So it would be considered a problem of havaya bedavra makabal tumah and havaya bedali de adam as well. So such a mikvah would not work at all. Now, all these problems, all these issues of Kalim and Havayai de Adam and Havayai de Dover all these problems have, there are, there are limitations and rules and exceptions and qualifications for when they apply. And that's largely what the chuvas we're going to do tonight are going to be about. For example, a Kali is something that is capable of holding water. If you use a, a flat board, that's, that's not Mayim Shuvim. That, that Mayim Shuvim means it can be held in a Kali. If it's a flat keli, or it's a keli that you hold upside down, you take a cup upside down and just use it to push water into the mikvah, that's not shuvim. If a person's holding the cup, it's still considered havaya al-yideyadam if he, if he pushes water into the mikvah. And if the flat thing is a keli, or a cup that's upside down, and he pushes water into the mikvah, it's still havaya al-yideyadam makabal tumah. If you use a twig from a tree, which is not makabal tumah, not a keli, then it's not davar makabal tumah either. If a person held the twig, though, and pushed the water in, or used a kind of a rock or a, a tree branch to push water in, that's Havayai de Adam. Havayai de Adam has rules as well. We'll discuss some of the rules tonight, maybe. I'll call upon him. The ideal mikvah is you dig a hole in the ground, God makes it rain, fills up with water, beautiful. That's a mikvah. Alternatively, a natural spring that flows out of the ground on its own, that, is, that as well is a valid mikvah. That's called a mayim. Additionally, one further complication, not relevant to us tonight, this was relevant during COVID, is that if you actually want to use a spring or a river, theoretically that should be fine, but there's a very difficult and complex sugi in the Gemara. Chazal were worried that springs can be contaminated by rainwater. Rainwater itself can be a mikvah, but if it flows, then it has to be a mayan. And if it's a mayan and it's contaminated by rainwater, that can be a problem. So, beginning of COVID, when mikvahs were shut, Kalem mikvahs were shut, People talked about, Rabbanim talked about being tovel things, Kalim typically in a river. I don't know if anyone was really making in normal circumstances for women to be tovel in rivers for a variety of reasons, but Kalim are more lenient, more practical to be tovel in rivers. So there was a lot of talk about being tovel Kalim and complicated questions about rainwater contamination. Not our topic tonight. The bottom line is, just to, just to summarize again, there are two kinds of mikvah. A mikvah, either a stationary mikvah, known as a mikvah, just typically, classically, rainwater that collects in a pit, or a mayan, which is a naturally flowing spring or river. Historically, many mikvahs were made out of mayanos, made, made out of wells and springs. Some post-commerce actually felt that was preferable for certain reasons. Today, some mikvahs are built on top of springs or water wells in the ground. Many mikvahs are not, and they're made out of rainwater. Those are the two kinds of mikvahs. The, the classic mikvah that you learn about is typically a rainwater mikvah where rainwater collects, and that's a mikvah. Yes? Um, um, why can't you just, like, go to a river to, um, put a tw- like, um, like, kick the twig? Um, <coughs> like, if you kick the twig, which moves water into the mikvah, is that called that you made? The Zimcha is asking a complicated question involving uh, indirect movement of water if you kick a twig and the twig pushes water. So th- th- there, there are some very complicated questions about what's called Havayali de Adam. We're actually going to get into some of them tonight. We're not going to discuss the twig question right now, but th- that is one of the key questions that comes up and that will come up tonight, which is that how direct, how proximate does the person have to be to the, to, to the water in the mikvah to be called, he did it. The halacha is, for example, if you pour the water on the edge of the mikvah, it, and, and then it just falls, it flows a little bit and falls into the mikvah, that's fine, because Havayai de Adam, 
is not a problem if it doesn't go directly into the mikvah. If there's some kind of, if it first goes on the ground and then runs into the mikvah, that's kosher. And therefore, there are many cases where posts can recommend, where there are dubious cases of an adam, a person being involved, they recommend don't pour it straight into the mikvah. We'll, we'll see, he recommends that as well. And he says, just put it near the mikvah and let it fall in on its own. That can eliminate, that can uh, avoid some of the problems of a bayal It's still a problem with Mayim Shuvan. If you take a bucket full of water, since the water was once in its lifetime in a bucket, that's a problem permanently. So it doesn't solve that problem. But if you avoid putting it in a bucket, you just splash water in with your hands, and you don't splash it straight in. You splash it on the ground near the mikvah, and then it runs in on its own, then that can be, that can avoid habayali de adam. We'll see that's going to become relevant uh, later tonight. So after this, this will be the last question, I think. I need to give this one. Yes, one more question. Two more questions. Um, um, what if you cup your hand? Is that called a keli? It's not called a keli if you cup your hand, but that would be called Havayali de Adam. It would not be called Havayali de Kalim, though. It would not be called Kalim, it would not be called Shuvan, I think, but it would be called Ali de Adam, I believe. But if you use a person as a mikvah, a person isn't mostly made out of water? I don't think you can use a person as a mikvah. Okay, so the so with all this in mind, so let's discuss, just before we get to the actual Shuvah, let's discuss the, the practical question that the different Al-Kil is trying to address. So again, historically, a mikvah would be you found a spring, you made it suitable for immersion, that would be a mikvah, you dug a pit, rainwater collected in the pit, that would be a mikvah. Now, there are several problems with these mechanisms. First of all, where you live might not have a proper spring or river nearby, a convenient spring or river nearby, especially if you're in a city where you might not, you might not find a convenient spring in the middle of the city. The rainwater mikvah has its own problems. If you dig a pit and collect rainwater in it and be tovel in that, that mikvah is going to get very, very dirty very, very quickly. Um, modern filters is a, a tremendous sugya in contemporary postgame. We're not going to get into filters tonight. Filters are a major discussion. Chemicals that we use today, chlorines and so on, are a discussion as well. So we're not going to get into the question of modern cleaning technology, but the basic issue is that if you try to simply build a simple rainwater mikvah, it is going to get uh, unpleasant very, very quickly. Now, if you're in a place where it rains every day, then fine. Every day you empty out the mikvah, and then it refills again when it rains the next day. That's nice if you're in a place where it rains every single day. Most places it doesn't rain every single day. Now we have a real problem. This was a problem that's addressed already in the time of the Rishonim. They have to clean the mikvah, but when you clean the mikvah, you empty out that water. Typically, you empty it out with buckets. All that water becomes shuvin then you can't put it back in afterward. So where, how do you replace the water? Once, once, you empty out, once you empty out the mikvah to clean it, you have to wait for the next rain to refill it. Obviously, that is going to be a problem. You can leave the water in and never clean it, but as we said, then the mikvah will become uh, unhygienic, unpleasant, uh, it will not smell well properly. Women will not enjoy being tovel in that mikvah. So this was a problem, again, we find that was one of the great uh, difficulties Postkim had Already in the time of the Rishonim, we find uh, elaborate discussions of the proper way to clean a mikvah, the proper way to, uh, and so on. And this is a great problem with making rainwater mikvahs. How we solve it today is a complicated question. We have typically a, a complex system of multiple different collections of water, some of which are rainwater, some of which are tap water. We can use one to uh, kind of solve the problem of the other. We're not going to get into the details of modern mikvah construction tonight, maybe another time. But the different Malkiel discusses a mikvah in Paris. So again, this is a mikvah in the great city of Paris, a century ago. They were apparently, reading between the lines, they were apparently concerned with this question. 
how can we have a mikvah which we can easily fill on demand and empty and refill on demand without it being mayim shuvin? Because the water that we typically get is tap water. Tap water, poskim say, is probably shuvin. Depends on the nature of the pipes and the nature of the of the waterworks in the city, but most likely the, at some point the water is passing through things that have the status of kalim. It's a, exactly what's called a kali is a very complex topic, but post can typically assume that tap water should be considered at the very least suffix shuvim, if not vade shuvim. So tap water is typically shuvim. So how do we have a mikvah? How, how do we get a mikvah that we can empty out and clean and fill on demand? How do we do that pismanazeh? It's not easy. If you don't live near a, near a proper spring and you don't live near a, near a place where rainfall is easy to, easy to get and reliable and happens all the time, how do we maintain a regularly refillable, clean mikvah with, with, while adhering to all the halachas of mayim she'uvim and avayal de adam and avayal de kalim? We don't, want, we don't want the water to be in kalim at all. We don't want people to put water in the mikvah. We don't want, we don't want to use dvar ha'makabal and tumah to put water in the mikvah. How do we square the circle? How do we get a mikvah that we can easily control and load with water and refill on demand, and yet have that water satisfy all the complex halachas of mikvah? Again, today we have a variety of modern solutions. Why the, why the contemporary solutions wouldn't have worked in Paris is a good question. I'm not sure. But the, apparently it was considered difficult to, to find a solution to build a kosher mikvah. So Poskim, Rabbanim, looked for all kinds of clever clever techniques, clever innovations to design a system where the water in the mikvah would be kosher according to all the criteria for, for mikvah water and yet be, practically speaking, under the control of humans to empty and refill at will. That's the background of the Divir Malkiel's Jewish. So his first tshuva, in response to a, a rabbi of Paris, the mikvah was made as follows. They would have tap water, essentially. They would fill up a mikvah with tap water, which is at this point possible, you can't use this mikvah. And then they would take the water and they would freeze it. They would freeze it by a machine. doesn't describe the details of this machine. Presumably it used electricity, I'm not sure. But they had some kind of freezer machine, some kind of ice, giant ice maker they would use that would freeze the water in the mikvah. And then they would melt the, melt the ice until it reverted to being water. And then they would add more water that would, uh, that would flow through this uh, melted ice, and that would flow into the mikvah that they used, and that would be their system for, you know, they wouldn't want to do this for you know, hundreds of gallons of water to, to freeze all of it, it would be too difficult. So what they did was, they, they took a basic share mikvah, which is 40 saw, and then they, they froze it and melted it, and then they poured whatever, hundreds of saw, hundreds of gallons, whatever they wanted to do, they poured, again, tap water through this 40 saw of melted ice, and filled up the, the mikvah that they were going to use. What is the advantage of this procedure? The advantage is that the halacha is that the laws of shuvin do not apply to ice. We'll see more details about that as we go. But ice is not considered water for other reasons. Ice doesn't, uh, it doesn't flow. It's not a liquid. So the laws of shuvin do not apply to ice. So even though the water that was frozen into ice used to be shuvin, when you first filled up the ice maker with ice, with water, it was shuvin at that point. But once you froze it and unfroze it and melted it, that panam chadashos ba'olakan is the expression the post can use. It's like a new creation after it melts. It, it gets a fresh, it, it starts with a clean slate, a tabula rasa, no longer has its old problems of shuvin. Now it is fresh, pristine mikvah water, and it is, it is a kosher mikvah right there. Now again, 
we want to economize on the, on, on the efficiency of all this, so we're not going to do that to hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water. We do that to a minimum share of mikvah, of 40 sa, whatever you determine 40 sa is. After that, there's a basic halacha in mikvahs. Once you have a, a mikvah that's 40 sa, you're allowed to add pustle water, tap water, shuvim water, throw it all in, doesn't matter. You can add more water to such a mikvah. That's what we do today. That's how we make our mikvahs. We maintain a basic 40 sa mikvah, which is kosher according to the rules of mikvahs. Then we have what we call the bar tefila, the actual room that the women see, the people see when they go into the mikvah, with the tiles and everything. That's much bigger than 40 sa. That uses tap water. But that we make kosher by connecting it to the mikvah of the 40 sa. We get the first 40 sa by rainwater or by however we get it. In, the, in, in this case of the different Malkiel, they got the first 40 sa. It was all Mayim Shuvin, the, the, the first water, the second water, all of it was tap water. But they got the first 40, they, they managed to, they wanted to render the first 40 sa kosher by freezing and melting it, which would erase any, any status of Shuvin and render that water kosher. And then they would add more water to, to get as much water as they wanted to, to be Tovalin. Whenever they, the mikvah got too dirty, whenever they needed to clean it, they would just empty all the water out wipe down, clean off all the surfaces, bring in a new 40 sa of tap water, freeze it, melt it, pour in lots more tap water, pour it through the mikvah 40 sa, and great, you're back to square one with fresh, clean, uh, municipally provided, uh, filtered and treated tap water, and you made it kosher by this magic of first freezing 40 sa, and then melting it, and then passing the rest of the tap water through it, that was the system they used in Paris. They weren't starting with any legitimate kosher, t- kosher mikvah rainwater. They were starting with all the water was tap water, but they, but they got their kernel of 40 sa of kosher water by freezing it and then melting it, freezing it by some kind of uh, industrial strength freezer, and then melting it, and then that's how they got their mikvah. That's how they jump-started their mikvah. Whenever they needed to clean it and empty it and reboot it, that's how they did it. On demand, they didn't have to wait for the rains, they didn't have to wait for the vagaries of nature. They would simply turn on the tap, fill up a tank of 40 sa, freeze it, turn it into ice, unfreeze it, and then that would then be a kosher mikvah, and then they could uh, bootstrap off that to fill up their, their bar tefillah, where they wanted to actually be tovil, with as much water as they wanted. That was the plan, that was the mikvah in Paris. Apparently this had actually been implemented. This was the system that was in operation in Paris. And the rabbi in Paris wrote to the different Malkiel with concerns. Some people felt that this rabbi felt it was okay, but some people raised various objections to this procedure. It was a, certainly a pretty novel and pretty, uh, pretty uh, un- unusual procedure, not, maybe not literally unprecedented, but it was certainly a somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, novel and innovative procedure. And people, of course, had various objections. And we'll discuss you know, in the question and the answer what the objections were. That's where it gets really technical. But people had various objections, and the question asked to the different Malkiel was, is this a legitimate way to build a mikvah? Now, before we get into the technical details, so the basic theme in mikvahs, mikvahs is a, is, is a very curious area of halacha. On the one hand, we are incredibly machmer. Post can repeatedly say that even if the Shulchan Aruch paskins leniently, even if most Rishonim paskins leniently, even if the general trend of post is to be mekel, if you find one shita, one chumrah, one possibility that it's not good, we say, let's try to improve. Let's try to make it better. Let's try to make it valid. And the post can explain, even though in other areas of halacha, we don't always do that. We say, we say all right, it, it's kosher according to the Ikra Din. You don't have to be choshesh for every possible chumrah. Why is mikvah different? 
Post can say other things are you know, one-time things. If you eat the meat, if it's not kosher today, okay, the rest of the meat you ate in your life will at least be kosher. Mikvos, you build one mikvah with one fault in it, every person who uses that mikvah is being tovel in a, in a, in a, in a problematic mikvah. The, the iser of Nida is, is, a very, is a very severe and stringent iser. It's a chi of karis, it deals with uh, the purity of, of lineage, of, of the children. So for a variety of reasons, the general attitude of poskim is remarkably strict when it comes to mikvah. Cases where, and I keep being sandbagged by this, cases where in other areas of halacha we would clearly say it's mutter, Shulchan Aruch says mutter, the Shach says mutter, the Taz says mutter, we say, wait, but there's a Ravid, there's a, there's a Shita of the Rash and Mikvos that says you shouldn't do it, so let's not do it like that. So Lechatchila, we are routinely very machmer, we try hard to be Yotze as many opinions as possible. However, the Divin Malkiel here, in both his Chuvas, makes the point that there's a limit to that. We, there, there are limits to that as well. Particularly, he says, if making, if, if, making the, if making mikvah too onerous, too much of a chore to use, if you build a mikvah that's too far away, or that's not clean, or that people won't want to use, that, that chas v'shalom, he says, may cause some women to just say, forget about it, I'm not interested, it's not worth it. In the real world, we can't assume that everyone, is, uh, everyone has an ideal and perfect commitment to, to keeping halacha. We have, we have to acknowledge the fact that some people's religious commitment is more, are, more, are more tenuous than others. And therefore, the Dimalkil is very concerned that if we, because of all the chumras we would like to impose, we would make the mikvah too, uh, too hard to use, too inconvenient, we might lose some people entirely, and that's not a price we're prepared to pay. So therefore, the Dijmal Kiel, of course, he wanted to make the mikvah kosher, meikra din, but he, he reiterates in his chuvos that we're not out to make the mikvah overly onerous, even if it would be theoretically uh, a little more lechatchila, because that could lead to, to, that there would be a price to pay for that, and that price is not worth paying. So in light of this, this is the Dijmal Kiel's question, is this, mikvah in, uh, is this mikvah in Paris, is this a valid means of constructing and maintaining a mikvah? So, he goes through several pages of Pilpulim, ins and outs. We're not going to be able to get to all of it, but uh, we'll try at least to hit some of the key points and discuss what the, what the issues were. First issue, the, the, his correspondence already raises, the ice is made by humans. Ice makers don't, uh, don't uh, we don't encounter them in the wild. Ice makers are constructed and operated by humans. People have to operate these machines. So he says... If a person is involved in the, constru- in the filling up of a mikvah, if a person's involved in treating the water and moving the water, a pers- obviously a person can build a mikvah. No- nobody says you can't dig a hole and wait for the rain to fall in. Nobody says if you dug the hole, that's considered uh, improper human uh, involvement. If you build a mikvah out of brick, uh, build a cistern out of brick or boards, nobody says because you built a cistern, that's considered improper human involvement. However, here, with the actual processing the water, freezing the water, which is what gives it its, which is what ch- transforms it from being puzzle water, shuvin water, into kosher water, is being done by humans who are operating an ice maker. Maybe that's called human involvement. Maybe that is a problem. One issue. There were other issues as well. There were. Uh, a number of other issues as well, which he deals with in the course of the tshuva. But let's discuss this issue first. Is this, is this considered improper human involvement? So, as Simcha started to ask before, the, as we alluded to just now as well, it, 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 becomes, it becomes crucial to pin down what types of human involvement are improper and what types are acceptable. So, one case where we shown him disagree 
is, let's say your mikveh has a crack, and water is leaking out. Leak, a leaky mikveh is a big problem. It's not the primary focus of our share tonight, but the one other great problem in mikveh, there, there are basically three primary questions about a mikveh. It has to have enough water, the share of memsa we discussed, one, one halacha, second halacha, the focus of tonight is mayim shuvim, water in kalim, havayali de adam, human involvement, havayali davar makabal tumah, the involvement of kalim that are makabal tumah, that's the, that group of problems is problem number two. Problem number three is called zochelin. Water, a stationary mikvah that's not based on a spring, an ordinary rainwater mikvah, which is moving, which is moving, the water is in motion, that is a problem. That an ordinary, a, a spring or a river is supposed to move, but a, an ordinary rainwater mikvah is not kosher if it is moving. That's the problem of being tovel in the rivers and the creeks, that a creek itself is fine, but if it's contaminated with rainwater, the rainwater is not supposed to be moving, and obviously the water in the river is moving. So water that's moving when it's not supposed to, that's called zochelin, water that's creeping, flowing, moving along. That's a big problem in a mikvah. So one of, the, one of the biggest headaches in a modern mikvah is making sure there are no cracks, there are no leaky drains, there are no you know, filters or things. If the, that, that's a big issue with a filter. What's wrong with a filter? A few things are wrong with a filter, but one of the, one of the problems with filters Besides the fact that it might be considered kalim and makabaltuma, the other issue is zochelin. If the water is flowing through the filtration system, that might be zochelin. Again, zochelin is a complicated halacha, as is everything in mikvos with uh, many, many complicated and controversial rules. But broadly speaking, zochelin is a problem. If water is, is flowing out of a mikvah, even if the mikvah still has 40 saw in it, if the water is flowing out of a mikvah, that's zochelin. That's why cracks is one of the biggest headaches in mikvos. Cracks making sure everything is sealed and uh, watertight. That's one of the big uh, concerns of, the, of a mikvah. So there's a major machlokas we've shown him. Let's say the mikvah has a crack, a drain, a pipe, something, and you fill it up, you plug it with something that's makabal tumah, or with a person, like the boy in the dike who sticks his finger in. So let, but the, the common case was the plug, you used a plug that was a dubra makabal tumah. You have a valve cover or something, you use a, a keli, to seal up a, a crack in a mikvah. So the keli is now stopping the mikvah from being puzzled because of zochlin. It's keeping the water in, which stops it from being zochel out. So the mikvah's kashrus ultimately is resting and hinging on a dover makabal tumah. So is that called, is that category number two? Is that called, I am now basing my mikvah on a dover makabal tumah? Or not? This is a major machlok. We showed him the rush. And the Rash, the Rash is Rabbeinu Shimshon, the great commentary on the Mishnah, who is one of the most important poskim on Mikvos. The Rush is the Rush, who is one of the great poskim in everything in Halacha. So the Rush and the Rash disagreed as to whether a plug, which is not actively contributing to the Mikvah, you're not pushing the water in with the Keli HaMakabal Tumah, but you're passively preventing it from flowing out. You're preventing a problem from emerging. Is that considered our involvement of a Keli HaMakabal Tumah? That is a machlokas rishonim, and we are machmer. We do not we do not use plugs or caps or covers of things that are makabel tumah. We we try to make sure we find things that are not makabel tumah. Therefore, the Divrei Kiel says perhaps one can argue that the ice maker is a similar situation. The ice maker is not we're not using the machine to pump the water into the mikvah. Pumps is also a major sugi in mikvahs. We're not using the, the ice maker to put the water in the mikvah. But indirectly, we're using the ice maker to convert the water into ice, and that's what helps us roll back and e- erase the problem of Mayim Shuvim. 
So indirectly, at the end of the day, when people in Paris are using the mikvah, this mikvah was made by an ice maker. So just like a plug that holds in the water is considered using a Dover Makabal Tumah, according to some postkim, we're machmer for this, to hold the water in, which ultimately m- m- renders the mikvah kosher, so too, maybe the ice maker is considered an, a, a Dover Makabal Tumah, it's considered a, a a person's doing it, maybe that's considered too, too close, too proximate uh, human, human uh, involvement in this mikvah. So this is how he sets up initially the problem. If we skip all the way to the end of the tshuva, the end of the, the, end of the tshuva, he, he dismisses this problem and says this is actually not correct. He says, he says that the paragraph Ikara Dover, a couple of pages in, he says Ikara Dover, this is not a problem. He says that the, he explains that that's not called Havayali de Adam. He's, and it's, like, it's basically like we explained before, that the if you dig a hole in the ground and the water falls in, and that, that's not his muscle, that's my muscle, that's not considered improper human involvement. You dug the hole yesterday, it wasn't a mikvah yesterday, that's just a hole, and then water falls in, and when the water falls in, there's no human involvement anymore. The fact that historically a human dug the hole, that's not called Havayali de Adam. He makes a similar argument. He says that when you have a plug, he says, right now the plug is holding the water in. Right this moment, if you take the plug out, the water starts to trickle out, and that's considered zochlin, and that mikvah is possible if, it, if the water is leaking out. So right now the plug is imme- immediately, at this moment, is, is keeping the mikvah kosher. He says, here he says, when you put water in the freezer, he says, frozen water, ice, is not a kosher mikvah. You can't be tovel in ice. It just Practically you can't. It's not kosher for a mikvah. You can't be tovel in ice while it's ice. So the ice maker didn't make a kosher mikvah. The ice maker made ice cubes, made a giant block of ice. Ice cubes or ice is not a mikvah, he says. So so he says, therefore, that's not called human involvement because it's not sufficiently proximate to the actual kosher mikvah. He says, ice is not a mikvah. And he says, later, later when the ice melts and turns into water, then it's a mikvah, he says. There's no human involvement, he says. No, No humans are involved in the ice melting. He says, he brings similar parallels to that and other halachas and mikvahs, that, that if the human involvement is so indirect, is so, uh, is so uh, secondary, so ancillary, not ancillary, but so far removed from the actual kashras of the mikvah, even if it's crucial in some sense, then it's fine, then it's fine. It's not a problem, he says. That uh, if it ha- he focuses on the time, the temporal gap between the action of the human and the kashras of the mikvah. So the way he says it is that since the mikvah isn't being kosher uh, when the water passes through the ice maker, that itself is not a problem, and therefore the ice maker is not a problem of Havayali de Adam, because again, it, the, the human involvement is too far removed from the actual making of the mikvah. So that, that itself, initially he, he broaches that it might be a problem, but he ultimately concludes that it is not. Another discussion that he has he brings several of the great Rishonim, Sefer Eshkol, the Ravidan Balea Nefesh, that you are not, that this whole eight of ice doesn't really work. The Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that if you have Mayim Shuvim, you have buckets full of water, so, and they freeze over, you, 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 fill a, you fill a pit in the ground full of bucket water, you, you, you took buckets, you hauled them over from the nearby river, poured buckets of water into the hole in the ground, that is a 100% puzzle mikvah, it's Mayim Shuvim, then it's a cold day and that water freezes over, and then it's a warmer day and the water and the ice melts. That mikvah is kosher. That's how we passed, and that was obviously the basis for the whole Parisian mikvah. It was because the because it froze and it melted. So where's Samech on that? 
However, he says, there are Rishonim who say that no, who say that you're not allowed to make a mikvah of ice. Certainly not if it was shuvin beforehand, who say that even if it was shuvin beforehand, and even after it comes out of the freeze, it's still not kosher. It, it, it loses the status of shuvin to the extent that if you pour more water in, it's kosher. If you have real shuvin, if you have three lugin of shuvin, a fairly small amount of shuvin, a quart or so of shuvin, even if you add hundreds of so afterwards, the mikvah stays possible forever. You have to empty it out first and then restart it. However, if you have uh, water that was shuvin, it became ice and became melted, so the eshkol and the rabbit say, that water is not kosher for a mikvah, but it doesn't possible either, so if you add 40 sa of kosher water, it's good. That's how some posts can learn. The Shulchan Aruch says it's kosher entirely, but some Rishonim learn that the water itself is not kosher, but it, can be, but, but it doesn't possible either, so you still have the option of adding more water. So according to them, if you, put some, if you took shuvin and you froze it in the ice maker and you melted it, that's fine, but only if you add 40 sa of good water. And that would totally defeat the purpose. The whole point here is that we don't have 40 sa of good water. We want to we convert our bad water into good water and make 40 sa out of melted ice. According to some Rishonim, that doesn't work. According to some Rishonim, the only, uh, the only way to... Uh, the, the, the only kula of, of, the, of, the, of the freezing and melting is that it no longer passels a mikvah and you can add 40 sa of good water afterwards. But without 40 sa of good water, then it, it's not, it, that's not kosher. There are Rishonim who say this. According to them... The whole, uh, the whole ice maker scenario goes out the window because you're dealing with shuv and water. Even if they become somewhat mitigated by the freezing and melting, that just means that now you can add more water without the shuv permanently tainting the mikvah. But you can't count that water. That water, which once was shuv you can't count it anymore. So that would, uh, that would torpedo this whole solution. Furthermore, there are some Rishonim who seem to hold that ice itself, snow, ice, that hail that fell from the sky... This week's parsha, uh, uh, borrowed the, the these types of these types of, of water that in its in their frozen states. If they initially came into the world in a frozen state, they're not kosher for mikvah at all, even without the problem of shuvin, because they, they don't really have the status of water since they since that s- snow, even if it melts, is considered snow and not water. Ice, obviously, chemically, physically, it's water, but lahalacha, if it came into the world as snow, if it came into the world as ice, you can't use that for a mikvah. So maybe even this water, it started as water, but once you froze it, it gets the status of ice. And even after you melt it, it's not going to be good. Even without the problem of shuvin, maybe it's a problem. Some Rishonim seem to say that as well. So, because, so these problems he spends a lot of time in the tshuva dealing with as well. That A, if it's shuvin, even if it's frozen and unfrozen, the problem of shuvin is mitigated, is ameliorated, but is not totally eliminated. And therefore you still need 40 sa of good water after the melting of the shuvin water. And B, some say you can't use ice and snow at all because they, they don't have the status of water. Even after they melt, you can't use them. Says a different Malkiel, yes, there are such shitos, but we don't paskin like these shitos. And again, even though some poskim and mikvos go to extremes to say you should be choshesh for every shita you can imagine, here the different Malkiel says, nope, this is not lahalacha. Lahalacha, A, we paskin like rov rishonim and achronim, that even that, that shuvin that were frozen and melted, as long as they are melted now, you can, you can even count them toward your 40 saw. You can even make a mikvah totally out of them. You don't have to add any kosher water. That you, in, in our case of the ice maker, you started out with 40 saw of shuvin. You froze it. You melted it. That's fine. The shuvin is completely eliminated. And now all these 40 saw count as valid mikvah water. You don't have to add any non-shuvin water into the mikvah. Once you froze it, panam chadash is and it's as if the water was never shuvin. 
even though some Rishonim disagree, we don't paskin like that. Furthermore, this other concern with the, that you can't use ice or snow even after it melts as a mikvah, again, he says, not a problem, we don't go with this, he says. Particularly, he says, even these shitas who say that, that it's possible, he says, that uh, he says that he says that we don't have to worry about this. He says, first of all, that's only if the water came into the world as snow or ice. It came down from the sky as snow, came down from the sky as hail. That's where the Eshkol and some of the Rishonim Machmer. Since the snow itself is not kosher for a mikvah, even after it turned into water, we keep viewing it as snow and you can't use it. However, he says, in our case, it was made out of water. It started out as water, this water. We recognized it as water. We knew it as water before it froze. Then it froze, then it went back to being water. Since in its initial state it was water, he says, it's kosher. Then he makes the scientific point, he says, even though the same thing should really apply to snow as well, even if snowflakes come down from the sky, they didn't start their life as snow. In, in some earlier point in their existence, they were water. They weren't snow from the six, six days of creation. So he says, really, that's true for every snow. So according to what I'm telling you, that as long as at one point it was water, why are we ever machmer for this? Why is the Eshkel ever machmer for snow? He says, again, as we often say in halacha, we're, we're not interested here necessarily in the... In the, in the scientific, physical view of the, of the way things are, he says, we look at them from human perception, where they first appear to us in their current form. A snowflake that comes down from the sky and enters the sphere of human existence as snow, even though we know scientifically it was once water, we first were introduced to it as snow or as ice, so that's a problem. But if we first saw this water in front of us as water, and then we froze it and melted it, that's not a problem, he says. Furthermore, he says, the Iker is, he says that these Rishonim who say that using ice is a problem, that's only if it fell into the mikveh as ice. If, a, if an ice fell into your mikveh, then it melted, we say, oh, when it first landed in the mikveh it was ice, now it's too late. But even if it, uh, but he, but he, but if it landed outside the mikveh, he says, it, it hailed and uh, it fell into the, it, it fell somewhere as ice and then it melted, he says, and then, we, and then, it, and then it flowed into the mikveh, he says, that's fine. As long as when it came into the mikveh, it was already water. And, he's, and, because that, and, and even if it was shuvin before, it's not a problem, he says. And therefore, he says that the... Therefore, he says, this water, this water started, out, it started out as water. We froze it, and we froze it in a machine somewhere else. And then we took the ice from the machine, and we carried it over to the mikveh and dropped it into the mikveh. So he says that the, so putting it into the mikveh as ice, he says, might, he's saying, might actually be a problem. But... Uh, but he, but he says that if it's uh, that that if the, if the water is already in, he says all the way around. If the water went into the mikvah first before it was ice, and then we froze it, similar to his first point. But if it was, if it was water in the mikvah, and then we froze it and unfroze it. That's fine, as long as it didn't enter the mikvah in an ice form. That is mutter, he says. And again, that's, that's not what happened here. It entered the mikvah as water, then we froze it and unfroze it. So once again, he says this chumrah of not putting ice into a mikvah doesn't apply because this this mayim this water entered the mikveh as water, not as ice, so even if it was frozen later, you don't have this chumrah of, you don't have this chumrah of not using ice. So, for a variety, for, for, for all these reasons, he says that the, even though there are various Rishonim who are machmer, A, we can limit the chumras of where they're machmer, some of them we don't paskin like, he says, and the, furthermore, he notes that it's, uh, that it's not even clear if this water is shuven, he says. He says here, the and especially if we're dealing with some of these chumras are only drabanan, he says, especially if we're dealing with water, he's talking about whether, he's talking about whether the ice maker itself is, has a base kibble or not, 
difficult to figure it out, he says. It's, uh, he is, I'm not sure why it's so difficult, but he says it's hard to figure out whether we're dealing with a real Kaylee with a base Kibble or not, he says. So we have an additional ground for leniency, he says, and so on. And be, so because of all these faras, he argues that, uh, that, 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 that again, it, it, it's fairly complicated. There, there are many more uh, twists and turns in his analysis. But basically, he comes out, none of these problems, lehalacha, are real problems. Havayali de Adam is not really a problem because the, it's not proximate to the mikvah itself. It's at an earlier stage in the water's existence. He says, we're not sure we have kalim. Even though it was ice, lahalacha we paskin, that ice that melts is kosher for a mikvah. Even if it was shuven before the ice melted, lahalacha we paskin, that once it freezes and melts, it's okay. And therefore, in the end of the first tshuva, he says, maskana de milsa, his bottom line conclusion is that the other of, who was machshir the mikvah, did well to did well to endorse and certify such a mikvah. The Yasher Kocho, he gets credit, he says, for Shatikin Tikun Gadol. He made a great, uh, he made a great uh, thing, he did a great thing for the city of Paris. But Krach Gadol Kazan, such a great city, they really have to have an easy mikvah, an easily accessible mikvah, Lahamsi Benakel, Mikvah Ksheir Lenashim, Bemakam Karov, nearby. If you tell them to go out to the, the, the river, go out here, not so easy. If you make it uh, too difficult, then they're not going to want to be tovel at all. Some of them won't want to be tovel at all. Chacham ain't a barosho, he says. In this type of situation, the Chacham has to realize there's a price to be paid for chumras, not to add uh, too onerous chumras. As long as alpidin, it's mutter. It's always nice to be more machmer, he says, but not when there's such a potentially terrible price to pay, and therefore it is good. In the second shuva, he, he analyzes some of these questions some more, he, and, and he has some additional points. He says that, he, in the second shuva, he adds, the, he adds the question of, how do you get the ice to the mikvah? Apparently, in the first shuva, it sounds like he understood they put the water in the mikvah, then they froze it in the mikvah, and then they unfroze it. In the second shuva, the Rav clarified to, had clarified to him, we don't make the ice in the mikvah, we have a machine that produces ice somewhere, wherever the machine lives, and then we have to carry the ice to the mikveh. So, is there any problem with carrying the ice to the mikveh? Human involvement, kalim, shuvin, does the, forget the machine itself right now. But is the carrying, transporting the ice by humans, is that going to be any, any kind of problem? Not such a problem, he says. You want to avoid shuvin, you want to avoid the idea of using buckets to carry water, buckets to carry ice. There's a very simple solution. Flat, flatbed trucks, not trucks, he doesn't have trucks, but he says, you know, flatbeds don't have the problem of, of shuvin. Kalim have to have receptacles that can hold liquids in them. A flat, uh, a flat thing, a flat board is not considered shuvin. So carry the ice on a flatbed truck or the equivalent of a flat wagon with no walls. Not a problem of shuvin. Or he says there are other kinds of... Uh, and, and make, make, them, make them be kalim that are not makabal tumah, he says. If, you worry, if you're worried about kabbalah tumah, we can use wagons that are not makabal tumah, either flat wooden wagons or stone wagons that are not makabal tumah. And they should have holes, so they're not considered uh, kalim that can contain anything, he says. So, what about people loading up the mikvah with the ice? People putting the ice into the mikvah. Yeah, people are carrying the ice over, unloading the trucks, and then throwing the ice into the mikvah. So that's how I idea them. People are throwing ice into the mikvah. Again, he says, do, do what we said before. Don't throw the ice directly into the mikvah. Put the ice near the mikvah, where it'll eventually just melt and fall and slide into the mikvah. That's fine, because the psul of Havai de Adam there's a major leniency that as long as it doesn't go straight into the mikvah, it's fine. You don't even need gimel tfachim here, 
as long as you don't even need a share, as long as you put it uh, some space away from the mikvah and it goes in on its own, a person didn't do the last stretch of into the mikvah, that is fine. So yes, you have to be aware of these problems, he says, but these are an easily surmountable problems. Transport the ice on wagons or vehicles that are not Merkabal and that are not considered kalim that would create shuvin. Load the ice into the mikvah, even if people do it, don't put the ice all the way into the mikvah, put it on the edge of the mikvah, let it fall in, and we can solve all these problems of Dover Mechabal Furthermore, he says, in the, in the end of the tshuva, he discusses how do you actually melt the ice, he says. Again, we don't, so people commonly wanted to melt ice by pouring buckets of hot water into it. That, Post can discuss, creates a serious problem, because while the ice is ice, it's not a mikvah yet. And you can't put, so once you have a mikvah for you saw, you're allowed to pour buckets of water into it to add more water, like we said before. But while it's still ice, it's not a mikvah yet. You can't pour shuvin in, you can't pour buckets of water in. So the Chatham Sarver says, avoid pouring hot water in. If you want to melt the ice, use, use metal, uh, metal sheets that are heated up and coals and put them on top of the mikvah. Or he says, uh, or just wait till it melts if you can. But, but don't, pour, don't pour hot water in. But it's easy enough, he says, to melt the ice. Just, again, make sure you follow all these additional rules. If you actually have to carry the ice into the mikvah, he says, use kalim that are not makabal tumah. Use kalim that are not buckets so they don't make the water considered shuvin. To be choshish for those who say that the psal of shuvin can apply to ice even, even while it's ice. He says, furthermore, don't have people put it straight into the mikvah. Have people put it on the edge of the mikvah and where it falls in on its own. And once again, he says that there's always room for chumras, he says, to be more machmer on these things. But once again, at the end of the second shuva, he says, Ein We should not be machmer on something which Mikra did his mutter. Certainly not in, 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 this, in this country, he says, in, in, in a great city like Paris, where again, it's kosher lasas mikvah chafura, an ordinary mikvah without, he admits this is tachbulos, he admits that this is a kind of a trick, this is kind of a chap or a kunz, he says, but if we don't do this, if we, if we don't rely on these tricks, if we just try to do things uh, like the old-time religion, he says, if we, if we don't rely on these kulos, we're going to have real problems, and we're going to have mechshalos, of people not being tovel. Yes, maybe traditionally, you know, all else being equal, we'd like to do things in the very traditional way without coming up with uh, newfangled things involving ice makers and, and, uh, and all these tricks, he says. But at the end of the day, maybe in a vacuum that would be an ideal. But in practice, he says, this will result in, potentially result in grave problems of people not using the mikvah. So certainly, he says, we should be mekil. And if you follow all these rules, he says... We can, we can rest assured this mikvah is kosher, and he allowed the Paris mikvah of, uh, full of ice. Again, not everything, not everything he says is universally accepted. He himself challenges other akronim in the course of the tshuva, and some were much stricter. But the Divan Malkiel, who was one of the Gidole Adar of his time, he felt that this, uh, this is a case of not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. A perfect mikvah would run the risk of having people not want to use it at all. And this mikvah is very good, he says. Meikra din, it's fine. Even though it might not be perfect, it might not be, uh, the lack of perfection is only chumras, he says, is only chumras are nice, maybe, but not at the cost of, of, of turning some women, discouraging them from using the mikvah at all. And therefore, he says, that this is the decision a postic has to make, the, the, that the cost of potentially losing some women to mikvah, to mikvah observance entirely is not a price worth paying. We don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and we allow this mikvah made by the ice maker.